Um, today, I didn't want to start without, first of all, mentioning that today is uh, Laura and I's 13th wedding anniversary. So, and then she's working with the kids this morning, but she is an immeasurable blessing to my life, has been now for a long time, and, um, and we're just so grateful. But also, too, I wanted to, I didn't want to, um, to get away from mentioning that today, Steve Lane, y'all stand up. Y'all stand up. Come on. These two have been such an amazing blessing in my life. This is my Aunt Lane, my Uncle Steve. This is their, today is their 40th wedding anniversary. (laughs) So I had to embarrass them a little bit. Thank you, guys. Um, They've just been, both of them have been a blessing in my life now for really my entire life. They've spoken into my life. They've been um, we've been close to them as family, but also just as spiritual family as well. I'm very grateful for that. So, um, and I'm really excited too because today also this is like a this is like a quadfecta. This is awesome. <laughs> today is also Pentecost Sunday. I'm grateful for Pentecost. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm unashamedly Pentecostal. Uh, we love the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll never apologize for that, never take a step backwards. That's, it's, it, I don't know if today was actually the day of Pentecost, if it lines up exactly as an anniversary, but it's the day that the world, the church, celebrates it. And so, so I, like, I just want to point that out. And also, too, I get to baptize my son, my oldest son, Ian, this morning. So that is really, really cool. I'm really excited about that. But uh, we're going to, so it's a wonderful day, but it's a wonderful day because the Lord is here. And so let's let's just get into the word this morning. Before we do that, let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together around around this spiritual food that we have, Lord, the word of God, the bread of God. I thank you, Lord. That we can we can draw from you this morning, Lord. We are we are putting a a demand on the Spirit of God to fill us, to strengthen us, to prosper our our us, spirit, soul, and body this morning, to to hasten and perform your word in our lives, Lord. We love you. We trust you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about trusting and believing. We're going to take a little bit, as much as time allows. Um, I want to leave time, of course, for baptisms and not keep you guys here till dinner. Uh, but we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into John chapter 11. So if you want to put, put a little note there and just, <clears throat> we're going to come back and, and forth to that chapter. Uh, we'll draw from it as much as we can. I'm going to start from Romans 15, 13. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That phrase, in believing, underline that or or just mentally grasp that. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This word believing is is all through the New Testament. And particularly in the book of John, is in the book of John over 60 times. Not First John, Second John, Third John, but Book of John in the Gospels. It is in in that just that book alone is in this is in that book over sixty times, and so you can tell the overwhelming aim starting in the beginning and at and going to the end, the final chapter. John one verse twelve says, "But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name." 
And even going to the very end of the, of, uh, in, in chapter 21, you could read, he says, I, I wrote these things so that you might believe. There's a, there's the, the, the overwhelming thrust of John is to get you, to get people to believe in his name, to believe on the Lord. And so that's where I want to talk about that this morning. And the Lord, his desire for us to constantly be increasing in our belief. You know, this is not, and, and, and this, this is hard for people who, who make Christianity a, a, an intellectual pursuit. And I say that because I've run across many Christians to whom they like to talk about theology. They like to talk about the, you know, uh, these very academic notions of God. But, but all it is, a, a, a lot of that, that belief, a lot of that, those conversations, a lot of that even teaching in, in schools and seminaries, a lot of it, all it is is, a, is a, a mental pursuit and a mental agreement with what God is and what he's doing. And, and it's, it's good to have a mental agreement, but he's not, he's not looking for just a mere mental, oh yes, I believe. Amen. This believing in God is a casting of the weight of your entire life Amen. onto him, Amen. onto the Lord. A complete abandonment in trust to him. All your priorities, all your designs, all of your striving all of your career focus, all of your plans that you make, everything that you do, if it's not given by him, if it's not reflective of him, it's not, it's, it's, it's not in trust. And God is looking for people who are willing to throw the, the full weight, in other words, withholding nothing from him, everything in their lives to put into his trust. This is what believing is, is discussing. And it's the receiving of him. I, want you, I don't want you to miss this in John, 1, 20, in John 1, verse 12. As many as received him to them, he gave the right. Your receiving of him gives you authority to become something. And the degree to which you receive him is the, is the degree to which you will become that thing. I have learned this, I've seen it, I've seen the word of God. There is a withholding that can happen. People don't give everything that they have. It's, and it's, it's, in, it's in the progress of your Christian life. It should be that you are continually giving over more and more to the Lord. This is what he's, this is what he's discussing here. Because you are always intended, even from the very beginning, Genesis 1, you were intended to be an image of God. An image of God. Genesis one twenty six says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And this is not a partial image. You can't be a partial image bearer of God. It's not some halfway thing. This status is full, it's complete, and it's what makes you different from every other created being on this earth. We are the household. We don't always see it this way, but you have to understand, I, I, I've been reading into this a little bit, and the, the, when, when God says, I want to make man in my image, he was, you have to see it from the perspective of, of kind of that old ancient world mindset where God, when you, in other words, when you saw a royal family in the Old, in the, in the old Testament or in history, Take, take uh, the Egyptian uh, country, for example. When, when Pharaoh came into power, they didn't hold democratic elections for all the positions in his government. 
he, you would, a smart ruler would fill, well, I don't know, it wasn't always smart, but a smart ruler, or at least the thinking of the time was, I'm going to fill every position of trust with people in my family or close to my family. Because you can trust family, and family's a lot less likely to backstab each other. Of course, that wasn't always the case. But that was the thinking, and God's thinking is the same. He wants to fill. The government is on his shoulders. There is an eternal kingdom. Come on, you know these verses. And God is wanting you to be, as his family, a representative of his kingdom in the world. He's filling his kingdom. He's filling his government with with people, with family. That's what happens when we are adopted into this faith. God is actually desiring you to be a representative And it's the receiving of Him, the receiving of Him that brings that to pass. This is why faith, the the subject of faith, the idea of faith, true biblical faith can never be a side issue in the church. Because real faith, real Bible faith involves abandonment of what is earthly and gives full trust, full trust to the Lord. Come on, there's there's no halfway trust when Peter steps out of a boat. There's no halfway trust when he's a fisherman and he knows what a storm means. You don't take boats out in a storm. Not in that day. They were flimsy, little things. You don't take a boat out. Like they didn't have steel hulls and, 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 and you know, diesel engines back then. You, you and ballasts and all this stuff. It was a wood shell. That was it. You didn't take a boat like that out in a storm. You went in. And covered your boat up so it wouldn't get destroyed. And they're out in a storm. Jesus walking to them, probably 10 foot waves. And he steps out. It's full trust. As many as receive him. See, Peter had fully had begun to fully receive this, this Jesus, this king. He's different. He's different. And when I trust in him, my life is different. Come on, he thinks differently than, than we do. He lives differently than we do. He's not impressed by the size of any problem, any circumstance, any army that could come against you. He's not impressed. He's not, he wasn't impressed with the army that came after Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. There's more that be with us than be with them. He wasn't impressed by 5,000 people needing lunch in Matthew 14 when he only had five loaves and two fish. He was not impressed. He's not impressed by the size of your problem, the size of your circumstance, whatever's trying to bring you down. He's not impressed by the size of it. His kingdom, it works differently. Small is big in his kingdom when you give thanks for the small that you have. It's different. The rules are different. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 through 22 says, And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him, you know the story, and touched the fringe of his cloak. For he was, she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. This is how we understand faith a lot of the time. And it's good that we do. Faith for specific circumstances. In other words, 
you might have a problem, you might have a need, and we teach about this, the, the ability of God to meet your need, the, the ability of God to heal you, the ability of God to, to, to bring you out of an addiction, the ability of God to set, set you free from every chain that would try to bind you. This God can do that. And a lot of times, and what we see as great examples of faith are, is faith for specific circumstances. And that's good. And we should. Encourage and learn more about that and, and, and learn to believe God for specific needs that we have, especially when it's the enemy coming, trying to put a bind on you and saying, you know, I'm, I'm taking my place as a child of God. But what John is describing when he says, in believing, it's a journey. And now that, that kind of faith isn't as isn't as as fun, at least on the outset, to talk about because it's not spectacular. The journey of faith. The journey of faith makes it sound kind of like, like this, it, almost like, well, you're, 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 talking about, you're talking about something that's not as, it's not as spectacular. There's no, there's no uh, prayer line for that. There's no, you know, it's not, it's not as, you, you don't see as many immediate testimonies of people who, who are on the journey of faith. But John seemed to think that it was really, really important that we continually learn to give ourselves over to the Lord in an ever-increasing, gradual abandonment to God. It's in that believing. Because there's in, in believing, another translation says, as you believe, there's great, there's great blessing and power attached to that. John 3.16, you know this scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That belief is not a one-time thing. Wouldn't you agree? Do you still believe the same as the day you believe first? I do, and even more so, that Jesus is my Savior, that God sent him into this world. I believe him. And it, I continue to believe my faith increases over time. It does not decrease. If, if it's decreasing, there's a problem. John 6, verse 28 says, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him, whom he has sent, that you believe. This is the work of God. This is the work of God. You can't miss this because Jesus, as our example, he did everything as a man, a human man, following the voice and the example of God for him. I do what I see my father do. I say what my father tells me to say. His ear was always open to the Lord. And he would even say things like, in John 10, he would say, like, if I don't do the works that I'm supposed to do, you don't have to believe me. I'm paraphrasing. I, if, I don't, if I don't do the things, in other words, the angels came and announced his birth, but you don't have to believe them. The prophets wrote about me. He said this in other places. He said, Moses and the prophets, they wrote about me. But if I don't do the works, you don't have to believe them either. He hung everything on the works that he did and, he, and, 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 put, and made those the evidence of who he was. But he said that this, this work that he's doing is for us to believe. The essence of the work of God is not miracles. In fact, miracles can become an, almost an idol. And listen, I've experienced the miraculous healing power of God in my body dramatically, spectacularly. And I, and I love that and I've pursued that my whole life because that is the will of God. At the same time, 
If you only pursue miracles and not pursue Him, you've made an idol out of what He's done rather than who He is. And the Lord is not desiring a people who are just trying to follow after the latest anointed person who walks around doing miracles. Because listen, there are people in the world full, demon-possessed, full of the devil, who are working miracles. And if you're just looking for a miracle, you can run to one of them and have something happen to you. And in the last days, the Bible said that's even going to increase more and more. But Jesus is not about, he does the miracles, and miracles are a part of knowing him, but they come from a foundation of trust. Jesus didn't walk out and say, well, I'm the son of God, and and I've been to the river, and now I'm working miracles. No, he, he gave the example first of a man who walked with God all the time. In the morning, he was up early. If he needed to get away, he would just disappear. And they'd be like, where did he go? He's going to be away with his father. That was the example that Jesus set for us. And he said, all of this comes from there. What he does, I do. If you never hear the father, if you never see the father, how can you do what he does? If you, never, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know his character, if you've never experienced him in the secret place, if you've never seen him come off the page of the word of God, if you've never experienced what it's like to, to be in prayer and have the Lord speak to you, how can you follow? How can you do what he's asking you to do? If, if you don't have that, then you replace it with your own priorities and your own, and your own way. And that's not the way Jesus is trying to draw us into. And I believe in this day and in this hour, he's drawing us into a deeper place where you don't, you're not waiting for pastor to say, okay, it's time to pray. Okay, it's time to fast. You know, a lot of churches, they announce, they're like, okay, it's time to fast. You know, I, I'm fine with that. It's, it's, it's fine in the, in the sense that, hey, if, if a pastor's led by the Spirit of God and they say, hey, church, it's time to fast, then, then hey, go for it. But I don't need, in one sense, a pastor or a teacher to tell me when to fast. <laughs> I'll do it on my own because I walk with him. And if I'm not sensitive enough, then I know it's time to get sensitive again. That's what fasting does. And prayer every day, reading the word every day, it it becomes less and less of a luxury and more and more of a necessity the more you walk with him. And even as I get older, I have more options in one sense, and I have, I have a lot to go going along with my kids, but I have more options for my time. I have, I have the ability to do more and to go out and add more hobbies and do, but I'd rather, I find myself wanting less and less distraction because of who he is. He's magnetic. There's a gravity to him. He draws me in. He wants me to believe more and more and more all the time, and he wants that for you too. A lot of times, we think of God and we think of, we think of knowing Him in, 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 in really a, a time of, of prayer or something like that. But uh, let me point this out to you. Psalms 23, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. But I want, I want, to see, I want you to see it and, and read it sometime. If you read, you'll see the top half of Psalm 23 is, is, is excellent. It sounds really nice, real sweet. But starting in verse 4, he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's an immediate shift in venue. You're going from, from, from you know, this peaceful, you know, by the river sort of experience with God, and then you're immediately going into, oh, and, and as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And it says that because David is the one who wrote this psalm, 
And David knew there were experiences and measures of God's presence, measures of his power that you only find when you're in the valley. Now, we don't like to talk about that because who wants to be in the valley? No one goes there by choice. But God, you can see through examples in the Old Testament and the New, God led his own servants into situations, always with the objective of of greater victory. But he led them into those places. Even Jesus had to go into a desert. And it's because there are measures of the Lord's presence and power that you will only find in those places. How many of you have looked around or, or read the news recently? I, you know, I, I've heard people say it's the best time to ever to be alive, and there's a lot. I Man, I'm telling you, there's, there's a lot of darkness out there too. And I'm not going to glorify the darkness. I don't care. The devil can do whatever he wants to do, or he can do whatever he can. His time is ending. But for you, as a Christian, as a believer, you're, you have to look around and know the, and be aware of the time, be aware of the circumstance. There's, there is darkness around you, and the Lord did not, did not choose you for this hour to back away from that and be afraid. But he chose you to see it for what it is, see the encroaching darkness and say, no, it will not come near me. It won't master me. It won't overwhelm me. I will walk in joy in the face of all of this darkness. I will walk in victory as he tries to come against me. But there's a measure of the Lord's presence and power that you have to find. And it's in circumstances like these, times like these, you have to press in and you have to find it. As you believe. As you believe. What is dark to us is light to him. Nothing you're going through, have gone through, or ever will go through can blind him, can catch him by surprise. None of it is beyond his capacity to redeem and to restore. But you have to trust. You see, we as humans, we, we like to have all the evidence. I'm an evidence guy. I, I just, I love to have, you, you say something to me, I'm like, hey, I'll listen. I'll listen to just about anything if you have, an, if you have evidence for me. I'm talking about things not, not practically speaking, you know, in the, in, the, in the faith. I'm talking about just in life, you know. You have, a, you, you have an investment. You have a, a way of thinking. You have an opinion about something. You know, that's great. Give me, give me evidence for it. I'm a numbers guy. Give me numbers. Numbers tell the true story. Show me the numbers. You know, that's how I am. And that's because that's how we were taught to be in school. That, that school of rationality that came in the last few hundred years and human philosophy has come in and, and we're often trained up in that. And, uh, and if we're not careful, a lot of times we can, we can try to see our faith the same way. Now, God is not, not, a, a, he's not a, a non-evidence God. He likes to bring evidence. He likes to bring wisdom. And even, even Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. God loves it when we get understanding. But, but there are some situations and there are some times where you're not going to have all the information that you want or that you feel like you need. You're not going to have all the wisdom. I've been there. I speak from experience. There are some situations where it seems as if all you can possibly do, everything, God's silent, you're not hearing his voice, you're frustrated at the things that are looking around you, and, all, and it gets you to this point, this very central point of God, just tell me what to do next. Just show me the next step. This is the journey of believing. If you really aim 
to become a better, what we say, a better Christian. I don't think God uses those terms. We do. But someone who's more committed, someone who wants to increase in your faith rather than just be neutral. If you want that, if you desire that, that's called sanctification. God desires that for you too, and we all should desire it. And I'm telling you, as you pursue sanctification with the Lord, as he walks you through that process, you will find situations where you do not know what's next. And all the information, see all of your, all of your references for true north, and everything that you use to orient yourself seems like it just fades away, and you're, and you're, and you're on the water. And this is, into this situation is what John is speaking. The overarching message of the gospel of John. This is the work of God. That you might believe. We believe because he is who he says he is. And he is perfectly and completely trustworthy. Now I want to read from John chapter 11. I'm going to go through here probably fairly quickly. But just walk with me. Now a certain man, verse 1, was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Mark. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. I want you to notice, first of all, how Jesus gives a declaration of faith (laughs) before the healing actually happened. See, true confession is not manipulating God into into doing something for you. It's saying what he's already saying. This is who Jesus was. He heard the voice of God and he said, this is going to be the case here. But I want you to notice also, now Jesus, verse 5, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That I don't understand. He stayed longer. When he heard that he was sick, he decided to stay. He was not in Bethany. He decided to stay where he was. Why? (laughs) Why is the question. Part of what you learn when you discover God's character is that delayed answers are never punishment. Delayed answers, never punishment. They're always for a greater glory. They're always for a greater answer. Trusting in something, a person, a thing, or God himself is only as good as that, that entity's trustworthiness, willingness, and their ability to perform. Am I the only person who's trusted someone before and they didn't come through? <laughs> you learn quickly as you grow up. Who's going to, you know, people say, well, I'm gonna, well, we'll stay in touch, man. <laughs> Not everybody does. You know, not, everybody, uh, not everybody's going to pay you back the money that you lent them. <laughs> not everybody's going to be there at a certain time. Not everybody's going to... People, people, you learn that trustworthiness is something that is, that is worth its weight in gold. When you can really trust someone. And you learn that if you place trust in someone, it's like, fool me once, shame on me. <laughs> you know, like, shame, shame, you know, fool me, fool me twice, or excuse me, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You trust someone again and again and again who's not trustworthy, you learn, man, this, it's like punishing yourself. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say if, you, if you've ever been that person who's untrustworthy. I have been too at times. 
You know, it's not, it's not about condemnation. I'm just saying it's, it's a fact of life. Trustworthiness is an incredibly precious quality. As I get older, I learn to not commit to things because if I can't be there, if I can't be 100% into it, then I'm not going to do it. And I'm trying to communicate that to my kids as well. You don't just say things idly. But to God, to put our trust in God, sometimes we can approach him the same way, like he's a human. He's not. He's perfectly trustworthy. He's perfectly trustworthy. And he's the only one who is. And trust in God, it comes from and grows from a discovery of what he is like. You have to understand, you have to get into this word and discover what he's like. His character. This reading this word and receiving him is not just a, 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 an attempt to try to increase your knowledge of a book. It's him. The book is to introduce you to him, to receive from him, to experience him. And to know him is to trust him. And to know him more is to trust him more. And your faith will only explore, your faith will only explore what the measure of his goodness reveals. In other words, if you don't know he's a healer, you'll never, your faith will never seek that out. If you don't know he's full of grace, then you'll never seek out and you'll walk in condemnation every day of your life. If you don't know he's full of love, then you'll, you'll, be, a, you'll be a lawgiver, Pharisee. If you, don't know, if you don't know he's holy, you'll walk around acting out and doing whatever you think you, you, you can do and not knowing God is holy. Your faith will only seek out what you know his goodness, what, you, what his revealed goodness is to you. That's why we teach the full gospel. You need to see every aspect of who he is. And if God says, I'm the healer, I'm the Lord who heals you, then that, then that settles the issue. Come on, you're supposed to experience this whole faith, this whole walking out. You're supposed to experience God's goodness, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is always good. And if something is not like what you expect it to be with Him, then there must be another factor involved. It's something I've learned from experience. (laughs) See, healing isn't something that God does. It's who He is. Love isn't something that God does. It's who He is. Provision isn't something that God gives. He is provision. He is grace. He is all of these things. They're in His DNA. He could never decide to not be something that He says that He is. And God is is drawing you in to, to learn this. And this is what he's, he's revealing in this chapter. I, want, I don't want you to miss this. This staying two more days, what Jesus has done here, and in one sense it's happened to all of us, it's that feeling of what it's like to ask God to do something or to, to, to perform his word, to pray for something, to ask, and yet it seems like you go past the point of no return. We don't like delayed answers. But I can testify they do bring character. 
Now let's continue to read verse 7. It says, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews just now are seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. (laughs) I love how the disciples sometimes just didn't get it. (laughs) I feel that. I feel that. There's just sometimes some things the Lord says, I'm like, Lord, I just got to be honest with you. I don't get it. (laughs) But Jesus was so patient with them. Now Jesus spoke of, verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. (laughs) Jesus, I love him. He's so patient. He's so patient. Sometimes you just need the, the very plain explanation. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Thomas was just nowhere. <laughs> Thomas was still like off the mountain. I don't know where he was, but he just, he was not, he was not in line. Like, I, I love this because the Lord, he's so patient with us. Sometimes we just don't get it. <laughs> Jesus had an objective though. He was on to something. He was trying to show them something. They're like, well, does he need sleep? It reminds me of the time where he says, he, he says something. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, we didn't bring lunch. <laughs> Go read. He says that. And it's like, it's like, guys, come on. Like, you know, you've been around him for a little bit. You know he's, he's speaking in, in, in sometimes veiled terms, but he always has a point to what he's doing. But in verse 17, Jesus came. He found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, I, I want you to understand something, how significant this is. And at, at your first reading of this chapter, I don't think anyone would ever grasp this because you don't understand, if you're like me, you don't understand Jewish culture. And the, there's a lot of depth and complexity to that culture. But one thing that the Jews believed, and this is very, very important to what Jesus was, was I've heard all kinds of trans, I've heard all kinds of interpretations of this chapter and why Jesus waited four days and and, all, you know, and I think all, uh, there's some merit to all different kinds. But it's very, actually, sometimes you find the simplicity of what God's doing to be very, it's amazing. But the Jews believed at this time, I don't know if they still do, if this is still belief, and I think it is in some sects of that, of that belief system. But the Jews believed that after you died, the spirit of a person would hang out around the body for three days. Three days. But Jesus waited for. (laughs) In other words, one day passed what the Jews would consider to be possible for a raising, a resurrection, a healing. Jesus, he didn't just come to heal him. He came to shatter a barrier of belief and reveal his absolute mastery. Over death. Come on, let's keep reading. Verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Back in Matthew 9, you can read after Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, he raises this little girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter. He was actually on his way when this woman pulled on his 
his coat. And, um, and the scripture says he put the crowd outside. He put the crowd of mourners outside the room. You see this theme with Jesus. He knew what was in men, the Bible says. Many people become so infatuated with their condition, whether it's an addiction, a disease, or just an issue that you're having. And they, and they, they even go so far as to say, it's my, my diabetes. It's my, my, my addiction to alcohol, my alcoholism. My this, my that. And you even see it in, in pill commercials and in the wisdom of the world. It's like, this is, my, this is yours. Almost to say, <clears throat> you're making this a part of your identity. And it makes it so much harder to get rid of that when you make it a part of your identity. I've seen this my entire life. People say, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. It's mine. They never considered the idea that Jesus might not want that on them. That he could break that chain because they're so convinced that this is, this is mine. I'm talking about even people of faith. Say this. Let these words come out of their mouth. And I always try when I can in a loving way. I don't always like to just correct people. I always like to say, hey, it's not yours. Because that simple connection, that disconnect of saying, okay, this that's, that's not part of my identity, can often spur people on to, a, to an act of faith. Because if it's not yours, why are you hanging on to it? If it's not yours, then Jesus could do something for you right now, and he will. It's not, that's not your addiction. That's something the devil put on you. That's not your twisted belief, but this, this is what the world does. It says, and it's, it's all inspired by the root places inspired by the devil. It's not your dysfunction. It's his. Send it back. <laughs> but this is what, this, he, so Jesus would send people out, and he did this, because you have, to, you have to take, and I've spoken on this before, and pastors preached on it for many, many years, your identity in Christ is something you have to die to find. I am, I am dead. Now I'm alive. <laughs> I was dead. I had to die. You have to die. And, G, and Paul said, I, I died daily. I died daily. This is what happened to blind Bartimaeus. You want to know what's so significant about that miracle? In Mark chapter 10, you can read, he, Jesus was walking by and blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But in, in verse 50 of that chapter, you can read, it says he tosses aside his garment. Was, I didn't know the significance of that, but that garment that he tossed aside, when you, when you are blind and you, want, you decided that you needed to beg for income in that day, you had to go to the temple to the priests and, and, and show them that you were blind. Remember Jesus healed the leper? He's like, go show yourself to the priest. All of this was very much a part of their culture. And so when you, when you showed that you were, in fact, not faking it, you know, they, I don't know if they slap you across the face or whatever, like figure out you're not faking it. You could sit on the side of the road and beg legally because cause in that day you couldn't beg if you, had, if you were able to work. They just didn't allow it. And you were a pariah if you did that. But, if you, but you were allowed to beg if you, didn't have, if you didn't have the ability to work. And so blindness would, would definitely preempt you from that in that day. But they gave you a special shawl to wear. Special colors, I don't know. But it alerted everybody else to know this is someone by, confirmed by the temple to be permanently, completely disabled. He threw that aside. Threw it off. Before he got his miracle. 
It's a shedding of that identity. He was casting aside his security, his income, before he even experienced the healing. And that was the act of faith, I believe, that drew Jesus in. This is what the journey of faith will do. It will have you cast aside that which is inferior and destructive and poisonous in your life in order to obtain a better way, a Zoe kind of life with the Lord. Verse 21 of John 11, Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. There's faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. Yes. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. I want to fast forward to verse 38. So Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. One translation says he was groaning deeply within himself. That groaning that Jesus was experiencing is because Lazarus was a very dear, dear friend. And Jesus knew he could heal him. But the Lord, he remember, he did everything that the Lord told him to do. It wasn't he who decided, it wasn't Jesus who decided to stay for two days and let Lazarus die before he came. Remember, Martha said, if you had come earlier. <laughs> Jesus knew that, and he decided on purpose. Why? Because the Lord told him to. We live in such a comfort-oriented culture. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just, just saying it like it is. If you look at history, we live in a very comfortable time. I mean, a lot of people in the last, over the last two years, various lockdowns and things, well, where did people go? They retreated into their apartments, into their houses, very comfortable places in the context of human history. Most people didn't live in places like that for, for thousands and thousands of years. So it's easy to consider a, a lockdown when it's like, I can go lay on my bed and my nice feather pillow. And, you know, I'm not saying it was great. I'm just saying that's, it's, it's, we, we can't mentally comprehend what it would be like to not have most of us. I understand there's homeless people around. Not everybody has a great place to stay. I'm just saying the average, the middle class, most people, this, that, they have a decent, in the context of history, a very nice place to be. We live in a comfort-oriented culture. We have, we have streaming services and all these things, ready-made entertainment, that just at, even on our phone. If you're just, I, people, I see people sitting at stoplights watching movies. Crazy. I don't, like, you know, like the first time you see it, and then you see it over and over and over again. You're like, I guess, I, you know, I, I guess this is a thing now. And I mean, it shouldn't be, but it is. Because people, people are so addicted to their entertainment, they can't bear to be without it, even as they're driving down the road. Oh, my gosh. Comfort-oriented culture. And so we tend to avoid discomfort at all costs. Anything that makes you uncomfortable, anything that makes you seem like you would, might, might draw on you in a way that you're not ready for, that you don't desire. And yet there are times where God will allow you and desires for you to feel not pain, not, not, the, not like devilish kind of sickness and disease. He has none of that to give, but he will allow you to feel discomfort, even if it's just in your own spirit. Discomfort. In order to produce something in you, 
It's a desire. It should produce in a faith-filled Christian a desire to break through. A desire to make that discomfort propel you into a place of greater faith, a depth of prayer and and commitment to the Lord because you know something is on the other side of this. Jesus did not stay in the desert forever. Paul did not stay shipwrecked forever. There were were times and seasons God called great men of God into, great women of God that had to experience a season of discomfort, but God always had an objective to bring them through because discomfort causes you to, it should cause a a healthy, believing Christian. I'm not talking about age. I'm I'm talking about in your spirit to struggle against that. God wants to put a fight in you where you're not accepting a down path, a a, a lower path. He has called you to rise above. And sometimes when we experience discomfort, you're like, well, I guess God left me. I guess he's caused me to, to be in this hole for a little while. No, God is wanting you to get on your face and seek him out. Because there's something on the other side of that. I've experienced this many times in prayer where God puts a holy discomfort on me. Where I have to go in, I have to pray about it because it won't jump off of me. But it causes me to have some of my best prayers where I'm interceding for things I didn't even think about, hadn't even conceived of. But all of a sudden, God puts that on you and you're like, I have to respond. I gotta fight against this. It's not, it's not, it's not, you're not fighting against God. You're struggling against what? When you intercede, what are you doing? You're interceding for somebody else. When you're, when you're, sometimes it's for yourself. Sometimes you don't even know you're in a hole and God's saying, look, he's trying to let you know you're, you're, you've numbed yourself, but I'm going to take that numbing off, allow you to feel where you are because you, I'm calling you to something greater. This is what God does. No one ever truly contended from a place of comfort. Champions are not made on the sofa. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's other things. He, he will let you walk through that, but he'll be with you the whole time. Not to experience the pain of, uh, the, that's not, not, not to experience the devil wrecking your life, but to experience that, that man, like, sometimes, you, sometimes you might get pushed into a cave like David. Have to fight a lion and a bear. Where was God in that? He was with him. He encouraged himself in the Lord, the Bible says. Other men of God, great, Elijah, you know, all these prophets and people, they had times where they were alone. They had to go and retreat and find strength in the Lord. And God will do this to forge breakthrough in you. It is not to leave you there. It's to make you realize, I can't live this way. God has something better. It is not, God is not putting evil on you. He would never do that. But he will allow you to walk through a place where you have to trust him deeper and deeper every step away. That's what groaning, this groaning that Jesus was experiencing, that's what this is indicating. Now it was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Verse 38. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time, in case you didn't know, (laughs) there will be a stench. Because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, if you believe, if you believe, there's that word again, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around us, I said it. (laughs) 
I love that. So that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So passionately does God desire that we walk in believing, that we walk in faith, increasing more and more. (laughs) Do you see what... Jesus, if he had walked up and healed Lazarus, would they have believed more? Of course. But they saw him heal lots of people. They had never seen anything like this. They had never seen anything like this. You you, you have things in your life. God is not wanting to take you from, 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 from a hill down into a valley just to leave you there. He wants you from glory to glory to glory. There's more in, the, in this. If you are in a, a time and a period of your life where it feels like you're, you don't know where to go, it feels like there's frustration, feels like, feels like you're being jostled left, left and right and you don't know and you're, and, you're, and you're wondering how can I find my way out? It's the Lord. He's with you. He's desiring that you move past the place where you think you know what he's able to do because he's able to do way more than you can ever ask or think. That's his kingdom. That's his character. That's who he is. That's who he is desiring desiring for all of us to contend for breakthrough in this day and in this hour where the world has no idea what's right and what's wrong anymore. Where, the, where, where it seems like nation is coming against nation and there's all this, this stress and all this anxiety in the world. God is desiring for his people to rise up out of that and say, I'm, I'm walking with him. I'm rising like an eagle above all of this. And anything that I'm experiencing that isn't from God, there's an end date to it. There's an expiration date to any circumstance that is not from him. He is full of grace. He is full of ability. He is able to make you strong, able to heal you, able to make you rise up from where you've been into a place you've never been before. Four days does not matter to him. Four days. He will disprove every rule, disprove everything, every assumption that you have made about him to take you to a place you've never been. What's impossible with men? is possible with God. What's impossible with men is possible with God. What you've never seen before is right ahead of you. What you've never seen before is right ahead of you. God is making a way for His people to experience His power like we've never seen it before. You've been in a season, a down season. Don't don't stop where you're at. Don't stop where you're at. He is desiring you to get, get uncomfortable with where you're at. He's going to make things that you've been filling your life with. Things that you've been filling your life with. Shows and movies and hobbies and, 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 and relationships and all these things that you've been binging on. To try to fill your satisfaction. He's going to make them taste foul to you. Where all of a sudden he doesn't, I'm, I'm just speaking this by God. He doesn't want you to be satisfied with those things anymore. He's your satisfaction. He is the one. He's the bread. He's the oil. He satisfies. There is no place that you can find in him that won't make you fill you with joy, fill you with peace, even in the midst of a circumstance that seems impossible. God is desiring you, but you have to believe as you believe. Give yourself over to Him. Die to everything you thought you knew. Come on, you want to see miracles? This is how we have to live. 
This is how we have to live. He never delays answers for punishment. He's never silent to punish you, to harm you. Many times it's because you've forgotten what he's already said. And he wants to remind you. Other times it's because you've got to seek him out where you are. He knows where you are. Don't ignore that churning within you that's causing you to be uncomfortable. Don't try to fill it with other things. Let it fuel you to contend with God for breakthrough. Not against him, but with him. He's for you. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We want to see you rightly because, Lord, when we see you rightly, it causes us to step out on the water, to step out into circumstances that seem uncertain, to step out in acts of faith, Lord. When we see you for who you are, Lord, miraculous things happen. If you, we believe, we'll see the glory. As we believe, we'll see the glory. As we believe, we'll see the glory. Lord, I thank you for putting a holy uncomfortability in us that our, our, our everyday life would not be enough to satisfy if it's not filled with you. Lord, I pray that you fill our, our, our times our, where we're alone, we're at home. You speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Lord, let us, let us be so confident that you, that you are with us, Lord. And if we're missing it in any way, if we're in sin and addiction, if we're in, in unholy lifestyles, if we're, if we're trying to satisfy with idolatry and all these other things, Lord, you expose it, Lord, in our hearts and, and lead us to repentance because those things will stop the grace of God. They will stop the grace of God in your life if you, in pride, resist his conviction. But Lord, we won't be those people who resist or draw back. But we'll be like every, every faithful saint that ever came before, stepping fully into everything that you are, everything that you have for us. We thank you for it, Lord. We praise you and give you all the glory. And we say over our lives, over our families, over our children, we say there will be life. There will be prosperity in, the, in spirit, soul, and body. I thank you, Lord, that you are doing great works even now in our people, in every single one of these families, Lord, in their children and grandchildren. I thank you for, for teenagers and, and adults who have turned away from what they've known to be right, coming back to the Lord in Jesus' name. We thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. Just praise the Lord for a moment. Lord, we thank you. Praise you. Give you all glory, all honor. We put all of our trust, all of our hope, Lord. Even in a delayed season, Lord, where it seems like we don't have the answer that we've been seeking. Lord, the answer's still there. You haven't faded away. You haven't forgotten. Remind us of your goodness. Lead us to your word. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.